Hey, RBMA members, I want you to recalibrate your business operations and register for the 2021 ACR RBMA Practice Leaders Forum. Do it today. You can go to rbma.org forward slash ACR hyphen RBMA underscore forum. That's a long one, but just go to our website and you'll be able to find it. This true day virtual event that's coming up actually this Thursday and Friday, January 23rd and 24th, is designed to deliver four hours of virtual programming over each day. It's a very robust and interactive learning program that offers hands-on practice management strategies that's tailored for a radiology environment. And I can tell you that our planning committee, chaired by Keith Chu, our past president, and Dr. Leonard Berlin from the ACR has put countless hours into making sure this is very, very practical radiology experience. So ACR and RBMM, RBMA members can register for $295. Non-members can register for $395. And residents can register for $95. So if you have uh, folks in your practice and leadership positions, uh, physicians and managers, I would encourage you to register, listen to this together, talk about it. You'll learn an awful lot. Again, the uh, Practice Leaders Forum come up this weekend, rbma.org forward slash ACR, ACR hyphen RBMA underscore forum to register, do it today and learn. Greetings RBMA members and friends, this is Bob Still, wishing you a happy new year as we uh, get our Word with Bob Live restarted for 2021. And uh, all I can say as we start the new year is, well, well, that was weird. Uh, starting on March 11th, 2020, that's the date in 2020 to me that uh, the real emergency started. Um, that was the day, believe it or not, that the NBA announced they were shutting down their season. And uh, every business in America said, boy, if they're doing it, maybe we should think about the same thing. From that point on, I can tell you our RBMA staff has worked virtually and worked very well, I might add. And I know all of you out there in RBMA land have done the same thing. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal year uh, marked by um, COVID. At this point, uh, we're approaching 400,000 people have died from COVID. Um, and I know how strongly our RBMA members from, from day one in Seattle to uh, as it moved across the country into New York uh, and now all throughout the country, how much radiology has contributed. I've been saying, I've been saying that, um, you know, the, the, the COVID patient uh, presents uh, himself or herself at the ER um, they've had a family member drop them off or they come in by an ambulance. They go into the ER and, and many times um, the next stop is the Department of Radiology for imaging. And um, I can tell you, and we've been advocating for this, that our, our members, our uh, physicians, our radiologists, technologists and others continue to be on the front lines of this battle. And um, as I speak to you now, I can tell you that Vaccine is around the corner. Um, my wife and I have had our first vaccination. We get our second um, here the, the 1st of February. And so um, let's hope that America will wake up to a new dawn and, and get this vaccination and, and we can kind of come out of the under the bushel basket that we've been under here uh, 
for the last uh, 11 months. So uh, Happy New Year. Um, 2020 also marked these uh, intense um, racial divisions that poke their heads above the ground every so often in our history. They're terrible. We need to do more. Uh, we need to have more focus on diversity and inclusion. And we're going to do that in RBMA this year and on bias. Um, we have specific speakers at Paradigm this year as well as some webinars lined up. Um, so we're excited about that opportunity to um, enable our industry to become more diverse, to remove bias, and to talk a little bit about inclusion. Um, our view, and uh, it's really driven by our staff and our leaders, is that uh, the more we can talk to, it, to one another, the better. And we'll continue to do that as we have for 52 years. And we had an election, believe it or not. Yeah, you all know that. We have a a uh, new president that's going to be sworn in very shortly. Um, we'll see what that brings. Um, we have RBM member, RBMA members that have been on both sides of the election, um, but it's certainly going to bring new, um, new policy, a new look at issues. Um, uh, the election, uh, while uh, very focused for America, um, RBMA's focus during that time was our fight to um, stop or reduce the cuts to radiology reimbursement through the ENM uh, coding revaluation. And we're very, very proud of our grassroots effort that we raised over $100,000 from our members voluntarily to fight. And happy to say that uh, although we still have cuts, which are a little bit less than 4%, um, we think we had a lot to do with, with helping the big coalition of, of organizations in Washington on Capitol Hill to, to fight that um, to fight that policy. So here we are. Um, we want to kick off the new year with a great interview um, with our good friend Steve Collins, who uh, works uh, in marketing with MSN and, and uh, development. Um, Steve has, uh, just as, a, as I say, a perennial nice guy in radiology. And uh, he, he gives us sage advice as, as we talk about his journey through radiology and, and uh, through his professional and personal life. You know, I, I have to reflect back in March when uh, RBMA was, uh, we were frantically trying to decide what to do with our upcoming paradigm, uh, which was to be held in, in mid-April in Florida. Um, I spoke with Steve Collins. And uh, Steve, as many of you know, had a pretty serious uh, health issue um, that's been resolved, but uh, had a health issue while on the road uh, working in radiology several years ago. And Steve is one of the people that I spoke with over the last 11 months that really put uh, the coronavirus into perspective at that time uh, back in March. And I'll always remember that conversation we had about travel and the fears of traveling and, and what might happen. And uh, pretty much from that moment on, nobody's traveled. So uh, I've always appreciated that save advi sage advice from Steve. He's got a great Scottish accent that his wife Robin says... Um, comes out more when he's been drinking or when there's a pretty woman in the room. Um, that's no secret. And so um, we're going to talk about his journey from growing up in Scotland to uh, selling typewriters in England door to door, lugging electronic electric typewriters around to his journey to the United States and his um, fortunate to have connected uh, or connected into and found an entree into the uh, physician 
uh, practice management world, the physician billing software business, and here we are today with Steve. So I hope you enjoy the listen, um, and uh, we'll see you on the back end. So Steve Collins, my friend, welcome to A Word with Bob. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you, yeah. Yeah. As is our now new normal, we're recording on Zoom and then uploading, and Steve's in Colorado and I'm in Pennsylvania. So, right. Yes. Uh-huh. We, uh, Steve and I had this conversation well over a year ago, and unfortunately had technical difficulties. That's right. We recorded at the ACR RBMA in Houston, as I recall. Yeah, right. and. Uh, We'll, we'll try to re- replicate that conversation, maybe not word for word, but uh, <laughs> just right. good enough. Yeah. So, Steve, I have to tell you, you, you and I had, I guess it was an email conversation, and then we talked to each other in March uh, about traveling and meetings. And yes. you were one of the first conversations I had where I like stopped and thought, oh, wait a minute, this is kind of serious stuff, you know? Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> huh? It, it, yeah, I, maybe it's my, um, I don't know, I have a, I certainly have a global perspective because I have relatives more or less all over the world, you know, right. so yeah, um, yeah, we, we, I'd heard a few things from different places and uh, it definitely yeah. um, influenced my thinking back in early March. Yeah, and it was hard to believe then that, oh, really, everybody's just going to stop traveling and shut down and I'm like, guess what, everybody's stopped, huh? Yeah. Well, we did have the advantage, though, with my, I won't call it foresight, maybe foreknowledge, that uh, we went out and bought toilet paper and all the other essential supplies pretty early on. <laughs> you know, we are not hoarding. However, I go to the store once every two weeks, early in the morning, you know, because I'm right. of that age. I can get, well, now it doesn't matter. But uh, right. so, you know, you buy the essential stuff every two weeks. Barb goes, you know, we're starting to accumulate a lot of paper towel and toilet paper. You don't need to buy it anymore. I'm like, yeah, but I buy it every two weeks. You know, why not? You know, so it's uh, the, the great hoarding of toilet paper. Well, uh, it's, it's been an interesting run. Uh, I, I commented to somebody, and you can remember back this far, uh, this past week, I felt like I'm back in the 60s. I'm, I'm running into my house to watch astronauts blast off and yeah that's right <laughs> and at the same time our cities are burning again it's like it was just so weird you know it's, it's well like it took me back it yeah. took me back a long way because i was thinking of this uh this week as well with the uh the spacex rocket going up yeah um i mean i remember watching the apollo program specifically because it was broadcast in scotland back then right yeah right a lot of coverage but uh, yeah, watching those rockets take off was just astounding. And so it oh, took me all the way back yeah. to that, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember running home from school, uh-huh. get home in time to see like John Glenn lift off, you know, and it was like yeah. just astounding or, or we'd stop in school and there'd somebody would have a black and white TV and they'd play it. That was a big deal, you know, mm-hmm. just to mm-hmm. watch these guys blast off. Have you, have you ever watched one live? I have not. No, in fact, I went down. Uh, I was in Florida for one of the space shuttle launches. Oh, uh-huh. we went down there. It had to be about 1993 or so, something like that, 95, in that range. And we got all the way down there. Uh, we were going on business. We were going to the fiscal information office in Daytona Beach. Right, right there. We, went, yeah. we were going to go down and see launch, and it got scrubbed. It got oh. So it's like, ah, oh. and we couldn't oh. go to the, the relaunch or the, the rescheduled launch. So. 
Anyway, so your colleague, Chris Hemerl in Denver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Chris and I met at an RBMA meeting in the parking lot of whatever hotel we were at uh, down in Orlando at like three in the morning watching a, uh, a liftoff. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't. Quite spectacular. Yeah. Uh, from there, it just looks like this huge firecracker in the sky. Uh, but Barb and I were lucky enough in January, we were in Florida and saw one of the SpaceX's go off. Wow. That was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, just to stand there on the beach like people did in the 60s and watch it, it's just like, it's astounding that you could shoot that thing off the, you know, face yeah. it, literally off the face of the earth. It's it's amazing. So, uh, it is. well, anyway, we did work in, you did work in the name of uh, an old RBMA name, an important name, Fiscal. But, oh, yeah. uh, so uh, we're, we're going to talk about the journey you've had with radiology and yeah. IT and software from a little kid in Scotland to, you know, Colorado. Mm -hmm. You can tell the whole software story, but it's a great story. <laughs> well, it, it's pretty, it's been a pretty interesting journey. It really has. I yeah. mean, uh, October 26th of 2021. Uh -huh. That will be the day when I officially have lived longer in the United States than I lived in the United Kingdom. Right? So it's coming up. Oh, no kidding. Wow, that's pretty interesting. But you still maintain, or you, you maintain your uh, citizenship, right? In yeah, I'm a British citizen still. I have a green card. I'm a, I'm a, a resident alien, I think. Is my oh, you're one of those aliens. I'm one of those aliens, yeah. We have well, a picture. We definitely need to build a wall. We have pictures in the house here that the kids drew when they were little kids in school, you know? Yeah. And one of them is from my youngest son, Cooper, who's now 26. Yeah. And it has the whole family, you know, just little uh, representations. And there's myself, my wife, who's got the dress on them. And then there's me, and I've got these things sticking out of my head. And the teacher had said to Cooper, what, what's that sticking out of your head? That's it. He said, oh, said, that's his antennas. He's an alien. <laughs> That's so, good. We like you. I don't know. He's like five or six years old, something like that at the time. So yeah, you, yeah. I'm still, an, I'm still an alien. My, my our neighbors have a new dog whose name is Cooper. Oh right, yeah. Well, and all I hear son, all weekend long is some Cooper, Cooper yelling. My son you. is actually named for my maternal grandfather, uh -huh. who was a Cooper Smith. Oh really? For the Edinburgh Distillers Company. So How interesting. Would, refurbish the American whiskey barrels and the Spanish sherry barrels that they would age the scotch in. That's what he did. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any of that scotch? Uh, no, but I do have his last cut crystal whiskey glass. Oh, Here. do you really? Yeah, I do. Uh -huh. Yeah, my mom gave it to my for my 50th birthday. So. Okay, well, you, you're going to have to bring that up out on October 26, 2021 to have a... Yeah, that's right. Scotch, that's right. right. Yeah, that's great. That's a good story. The, uh, so you grew up in, in Scotland. In what city? I forget. I was born in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah grew Edinburgh. up in Edinburgh. Well, until I was, uh, and if you've never been to Edinburgh, it's the most magnificent city. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. It goes back to, well, the, you, you've got the castle in Edinburgh. Yeah. And the oldest part of the castle is uh, uh, St. Margaret's Chapel. It's a little uh -huh. place there. And it was built in the 11th century. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty neat town. So I lived in Edinburgh for oh, till I was about thirteen or fourteen, 
And then we moved down to England, which was all different my dad's job at the time. Yeah. But that was a massive culture shock because you've grown from, you know, the big city of Edinburgh, which is about half a million people, uh -huh. to we moved to a tiny little village that was about two miles around this tiny little oh, place really? in the middle of England in Nottinghamshire. You know, the sheriff of Nottingham and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. You oh, you're looking for the sheriff. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, and was your dad was in... Now, was your dad in the typewriter? But he wasn't in the typewriter business. Right? No, my dad started out. So he did his what was called the National Service. Oh, okay. 50s, yeah. uh -huh. right? He was in the Royal Air Force. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he came out, his dad, who was a painter and decorator, advised mm -hmm. him to get a job in an office. Son. Mm -hmm. That was the advice he got. So he did. Okay. He got a job in um, the St. Andrew's Life Insurance Company. Oh, okay. And yeah. so he worked in the insurance business. And when he was there, just he was just a clerk, you know, counting money and you know, yeah. doing ledgers and stuff all by hand. Well, they brought in this thing called a computer. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was anointed as the operator. We got this picture of him in his National Health Service black rimmed glasses, crew cut. Yeah. And he's sitting at this mammoth machine. And that was just the terminal. <laughs> wow. So, so I first, actually went the to first him. IT guy. Yeah. Oh, I, I went with him just a few years ago to the, uh, I think it's called the National Computer Museum. It's in uh, um, California, right. right, in Silicon Valley. And we went in there and they had that computer. So massive. Oh, did they really? Yeah. They had that computer that he worked on. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. It was really cool. that, that is neat. Uh, yeah. But that's what got him into the computer business. Now, I, I just finished, I've read, well, at least two books during the coronavirus, uh, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> One is called A Pilgrimage to Eternity, which is a, uh, a Christian pil pilgrimage for centuries from uh, Canterbury, England, to Rome. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy that wrote it, Timothy Egan, uh, did this pilgrimage and wrote about growing up Catholic in Seattle, Washington. But every little village, he told every story of every saint and every just nasty guy that whatever, they, you know. This is a very interesting journey. But the other book I just finished called The Splendid and the Vile by uh, Eric Larson uh, about the Battle of Britain and uh, the bombing and, and really a very intimate book about Churchill and his family and all the folks, Lord Beaverbrook and others, all of his advisors, how they got, I got, how they got from uh, starting the bombing to when uh, the United States entered the war, 1942. So, it's a very interesting book. And I've been wondering, I was wondering about your dad and mom, mm. you know, were they, were they threatened by it? Probably not so much up in Scotland, right? Or, well, they were actually evacuated. from. Oh, were they really? Yeah, oh, as kids, okay. you know, they yeah. were part of that program. And so they were yeah. shipped out to the countryside, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they've got some great stories. I mean, they were, so both of them, my dad was born in 36 and mm -hmm. my mom was born in 38. Yeah. They're still still around. You know, yeah, right. I know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they tell some really good stories. Now, there's one good one that connects a lot of the Scottish history, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so the 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 German bombers would come over, and they weren't too much interested in Edinburgh. You know, they bomb right. Rosyth, the dockyards there, what have yeah. the naval dockyards, and then they go on to Glasgow, which was the shipbuilding center, shipbuilding. Right. Yeah. But on the way back. Uh, they'd sometimes jettison the bombs that they hadn't dropped for whatever reason, bad weather or something. Yeah. And one one night they dropped them over Edinburgh just to jettison them to outrun the night fighters across the North Sea. Yeah. And they landed on the whiskey distillery. 
Right? My dad tells this great story. Now he was just a kid, but there were people yeah. out there with bedpans and pots and, pan and anything to get the whiskey. The, the, the whiskey was running down the gutters. Yes. <laughs> save the whiskey. That's right. Save the whiskey. Yeah. Don't worry yeah. about the bombs. Well, it's, right. a, it's a great, it's a great book. It's a great. Uh, Eric Larson's a great writer. And, and yes, uh, I've read many of his. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, the, I have a. Um, my dad's with Memorial Day just passed here. Mm -hmm. My dad's uncle Ronald. He went off uh, just after D-Day. He was in the. He was attached to the Special Air Service. Oh, okay. And, uh -huh. and he was he was killed mm. a few days after D-Day in France. Wow. Oh, wow. And my my dad and my older brother have been over there many years ago now, and they found his grave, which is still oh, maintained no by the, the Commonwealth Graves Commission. Right. So yeah. yeah, it's quite quite moving. But he was actually. Uh, not by name, but the record of his being killed was recorded in a book, I think it was by Eric Larson, all about the Special Air Service. Right. It mentions the mission he was on, Operation Wallace. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was, uh, it was quite, quite personal a personal connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah, quite an interesting personal connection. Yeah, well, so uh, did your mom, did your mom work out of the home? Was she no, she's, yeah. I mean, my mother is, is what used to be called a housewife is now I think yeah. a homemaker, right? Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, she did, she used to work odd jobs occasionally, you know, news agents and stuff like that when we, yeah. we had no money because that, yeah. that's where we started. We had no, I mean, they came back from their honeymoon in 1957 and they had six Nothing. That's what they had. Yeah. yeah. And they lived with, they lived with my dad's dad, right? His yeah. mother passed away when he was a kid. And uh, yeah, they lived there. That's where I was born in the west side of Edinburgh. Um, that's great in, in a, an area called Haymarket. Right? yeah oh okay yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh you grew up and your whole your whole like dream growing up is typewriters you would have <laughs> well, typewriters it was it was quite it was fortuitous i was just i just finished um uh high school essentially mm -hmm. um and when i say i'd finished it i actually stayed on to do what they call six form studies mm -hmm. so I had studied, you, you do a concentration in two or three subjects once you get past the age of 16, if you want to stay on in school. So I did that. It's like a pre-college course, really. Um, so I had studied English literature and history and sociology, right? Those are my three subjects. Anyway, long story short, I'd given up sociology for various reasons. So I got advanced level passes or degrees or whatever you call it in English literature and history and the history I was studying was the history of fascism in Europe which was very very interesting so yeah. kind of but I decided I was going to go to university and study history mm -hmm. and so I'd applied to some universities and uh, just at that point I was dating a girl in high school and her dad now this was in England by this time her dad was a Scotsman and he worked for Olivetti the Italian oh yeah okay yeah well, office equipment company was called back then it was a computer company right so so um, uh, I was over at her house one day and Mike Cudahy was his name, Scott's guy. He says, now, Steve, he says, you seem like a bright young man. He says, I've got this friend, Alan Wood. He says, he's looking for a young sales guy. He says, would you be interested? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to university. He says, ah, he says, well, just do me a favor and go talk to the guy. So I ended up going to work for Alan Wood, who used to work at Olivetti and had a okay. little agency, a one-man typewriter and calculator agency in the north of England. Calculators. Alan for two years. Uh -huh. So that's how I came into sales, essentially. 
And yeah, uh, yeah started off with typewriters and calculators. And you said you were lugging these electric typewriters. Around. Oh my God, they were. They, they, they brought out the first electronic ones, which were yeah. you know, word processors. And yeah, they could yeah, remember like a, they could remember a phrase, right, or something. You know? That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So some great stories about that. I mean, you know, um, the, when you introduce technology to people, and this yeah. still applies today. So two things, one at each end of the time scale. So when I was 19, 20, and I'm working in this computer business or this typewriter business, um, they brought out this little word processor. It had uh -huh. little LED screens. So as you typed, you saw right. it. Right. And it had a little, a little floppy disk, a tiny little thing, just a piece uh -huh. of plastic that was literally a flexible disk. And it yeah. stored about four pages of text. So right. we had a client who bought one of these. And it was a solicitor's office, you know, an attorney's office. Sure. And uh, the legal secretary calls us up one day. And she says, uh, "She's talking to the boss, not me." She says, "Alan, she says, I can't, I can't bring up any of these, just any of these documents I've seen." Yeah. So we go over it. We go through the whole routine. It's plugged into the wall and the whole thing. <laughs> right. Balances. Okay, show me exactly what you're, how you're using this. So she types uh -huh. something and she hits save. Uh -huh. Save it to the disc and you hear the disc one spin, spin, spin. So it's right. read, read it to the disc and she takes it out and she prints out the original document that she typed and she takes the whole thing. She puts a little disc in a little, had a little paper envelope. She puts it in there and she goes chunk with a stapler through the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> Staples the disc. So when she's putting the disc back in the machine, yeah. it's <laughs> of course, nobody had told her, nobody had trained her to do it. Yeah. Well, it's all so, about you know, training. Yeah, it's all about end, training. We, we had, when we were at Fiscal Information here in uh, Loveland, Colorado, we had these desk side computers, right? right. We only used them as dumb terminals back then, but right. we had sent a, a shipment of these. Well, they had the CD drive slot in them, which was new, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we got a call from um, one of our clients uh, in oh. California, I think it was. And this lady said to the hardware guy, says, hey, when you ship us some new monitors would you uh could i get one of the the new computers with the the coffee holder like, <laughs> the disappearing yeah, coffee press this button this coffee cup holder slides out <laughs> <laughs> i love that huh if you don't tell somebody how to use technology they'll adapt it's um, like the uh youtube video a couple years ago where they give uh grandpa the ipad for christmas right and he's yeah. using it as a cutting board Exactly. You know, yeah. It's yeah. a great cutting board. Good looking. Uh, well, you know, my first, uh, I got a, somebody advised me to get a typewriter when I went to college mm -hmm. and I went to the typewriter shop, you know, just like the guy you work for one guy, you know, yeah. Yeah. and he recommended an Olivetti portable typewriter it had its case. He said all the reporters use these mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and man, I, every paper in college. I was really good at writing papers late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so typewriters are interesting. You learn all kinds, when you're selling something, anything, right? yeah. you learn all kinds of useless information. Right. Just marks to people as part of the whole sales process, right? Yeah. So what's the long, and what's the longest English language word you can type on the QWERTY row of a typewriter? Now, if oh. you touch type, you, you see people doing this all the time. They do you know, with their fingers. I can't right. touch type. I hunt and pick. But what's the longest word? I've heard this question before, but I forget the I don't know. I forget the answer. 
So the answer is the word typewriter. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So yeah. And on the top, line, the, on the top line, right? On the QWERTY row. Yeah, the QWERTY yeah. row. Yeah. The QWERTY yeah. row. So, yeah. Anyway, there you are. Uh, there you go. Useless, but that, now but that you sell, Bob, now you can go out and sell typewriters. You're full I know, but I was going to say that, that opens up a huge opening to sell a type. Yeah, my question is, anybody own a typewriter or have bought one recently? I mean, it's a fat, there, well, now there are in uh, a lot of cities now, I know in Leicester, PA, uh, there, there are folks who are doing this outside of the central market. Yeah. The folks set up with typewriters and sure. for, you know, a $5 donation or something, they'll write a poem or mm -hmm. a message on the typewriter and hand it to you. It's like becoming- They're very tactile things. You know, my grandson comes in here and the first thing he does is goes play with the typewriter, right? Yeah. Now there's, there's no paper and stuff out of it. He just likes to tap the keys because they move, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, but anyway, so yes, I did the typewriter gig for two years and then I yeah. joined a computer company where my dad worked, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Now he didn't actually know I was gonna join, but anyway. Yeah. Um, wow. I did, I came in as a trainer, a software trainer. Oh, okay. Then, my entire career has been go do something you don't know anything about, right? Well, Figure yeah, so that's what I, happens. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to work for this software company, computer company. They, they ended up manufacturing computer systems, but they used to buy digital equipment corporation computers mm -hmm. and they ship them into the UK. And they had several commercial applications like payroll or word processing mm -hmm. or accounting, mm -hmm. or, you know, those types of things. Right. And so, it was a quite a big company. It was probably about 1,500 people around the world, mm. about headquartered in Leeds in England. And so I worked there for a few years, and my dad eventually left and became a consultant. And oh, okay. he, his consulting job brought him to Denver. Oh, okay. Yeah, you had told me so, this. Yeah, yeah. Right, there so you he go. comes over to Denver. Big leap, yeah. Right, and it was like a four-year contract he was on. So he decided that they'd rent out the house that they owned. And I had my own little house by that time. Mm -hmm. They'd rent out the house that they owned in England. And he and my mom, and I have three younger sisters. So the, right. the youngest one and the middle one came with them. They were about high school and college age, respectively. So they're going to live in the United States for four years. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. my dad starts up his little business, and it, yeah. it, uh, it worked with... Um, uh, Data General, remember Data General computer systems? Oh yeah, I remember Data General, yeah. So essentially he had manufacturing system software from a company in Holland, uh -huh. right? And he was representing it, trying to break it at the US market. And oh, okay. it ran on Data General. So yeah. he calls me up one day and he says, hey, he says, it looks like this thing's got legs. He says, but we're gonna need somebody in Europe. I'm like, oh, oh. five years old. Yeah, time. right. He's like, would you, how about being our guy for the ROW? I said, what's ROW mean? He says, the rest of the world. Rest of the world. Yeah, what do you carry? Oh, I, I got a couple of clients over the, yeah, throughout the world. Yeah, outside the Americas. I mean, I, make, I remember making phone calls in places like Zimbabwe. I mean, I'm 25, I don't know one yeah. end of Africa from the other, and I'm calling Zimbabwe. Right. Anyway, yeah. so he says, but here's the deal. If you, if you decide to take the job, which I did, you know, I took the yeah. job. He says, you got to come over to the States where I'd never oh. been before to okay. learn this new software. He says, you, you know, we'll be here five or six weeks. Mm -hmm. So... I get on a plane, come over to Denver, and I'm like goggle-eyed, man. This country's just like completely different. To any it's like a McDonald's experience. on every corner. That is, it was incredible. What so, year was that? What, was that in the 70s? Or? That was 1986. 86, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So All right. I come over and he'd employ, the guy who'd sold them a house in South Denver, 
right? Uh-huh. My mom and dad had hit off with this guy. And so he was now working for my dad, a guy called Bert. <laughs> and Bert and my oh, the, the older sister that was here, they were dating, right? Oh, so okay. That was the arrangement. And right. I land in the middle of all that. Yeah. And Bert says to me, and we hit it off pretty good. He says to me, uh, he says, hey, he says, why don't you change your return ticket? We'll take in the first preseason Broncos game. I'm like, oh, there you cool. go. Ameri- you know, I love American football, right? Yeah, right. So we go to the preseason game, Denver against St. Louis, and Denver lost. So everybody was somewhat pissed off. Yeah, the, um, orange, cr- so the orange crush lost. We're standing outside the Denver Broncos stadium. Uh-huh. And Bert and my sister Julie are like, hey, it's your last night here. You're flying out tomorrow to London. Let's go party. Yeah. And my dad and my kid sister, Sam, are like, yeah, you should probably come home, have dinner with mom, you know. Yeah, some last sleep. night here, yeah. So guess what we did? <laughs> party. You and I had a few beers. We go over to Bert's apartment. We're going to go out to a nightclub. Uh-huh. And we're sitting in Bert's apartment having a scotch. And the door busts open, and in comes Bert's sister, Kim, and okay. her friend, Robin. Ah, I know where this is going. Right. Yeah. So literally, we spent the whole night talking and yeah well some accuse me of dancing the last time i danced probably i'll tell you that <laughs> so anyway um then the next day i fly off to the uk but she'd given me a canceled check with her address on it right phone number yeah. whatever and so when i got to the uk i called interflora the inter international florist agency right say, hey, i'll send a bunch Center of flowers to this lady Nice. Well, they said, well, how much do you want to spend? I'm like, I don't know, 50 pounds? Well, that was yeah. about 100 bucks back then. I bought a lot of flowers. That's a lot of flowers for a guy that's 25. Oh, yeah. So that, that is how we met. And she came over. So that was August 9th yeah. of 86. And I told her a few years later, I said, you know, I remember August 9th. I always will because, unfortunately, that's the anniversary of them dropping the bomb on Nagasaki. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she doesn't like that association. <laughs> well, that's how I remember it. So yeah. she came over to see me in October of 86 for two there years. You go. She came over Christmas of 86. Yeah. And in March of 87, I came over to Colorado to see her. I was changing jobs. So I thought yeah. I'll take two weeks. I'll come yeah. over. And her friend Kim was getting married. Right. Uh-huh. So I brought my suit. Oh, yeah. To the wedding. You were the plus and, one. Yeah. Yep. The next day was St. Patrick's Day. I asked her to marry me. We got married five days later in the judge's office in Fort Collins here. Oh, did you really? Small wedding. Yeah. 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 Small wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then, she was okay with that. Her parents were okay with that. Everybody was cool. Hey, I'm a sales guy. I'm a right? sales guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was the I best know. deal I ever did. The best deal yeah. I ever did. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I got the whole her dad's. I mean, they'd never met me before. Oh, that's amazing. That's a good story. I mean, they, you know, they talked on yeah. the phone, what have you. And yeah. So I'm sitting there and her dad says to me, no, and her dad's an engineer. He's a great uh-huh. guy, really nice guy. But he analyzes everything. And he oh, can do yeah, the math. Yeah. He, he says, no, uh, yeah. he says, Steve, he says, uh, he's from Nebraska. He's very taciturn. <laughs> um, what exactly are your intentions towards my daughter? <laughs> he, knew, so, he knew the answer to that. I knew the answer to that, yeah. So anyway, we got married, and I left yeah. two days later, went back to the UK to start my new job. And oh, about okay. 10 days later, Robin sold up everything she owned and moved to, the, moved to, to England. Oh, that's a, that's a good story. Good love story. Yeah. Make that we, into were there, a movie. we were there almost five years, mm-hmm. and we had two kids, mm-hmm. uh, and we survived the national health system. We didn't have to wait for the delivery of our kids, believe it or not. 
So, um, how does everyone in England survive the national health system? I mean, it's amazing, right? They, I mean, they sit there and they talk to you. It's terrible. And they sit there and they talk to each other. Yeah, they talk well, to each other in the waiting rooms, right? And what they talk about is how the hell do those guys in America survive the American healthcare system? That's what they do. I find it fascinating. Over here, we, uh, you know, everybody said, oh, in England, it's like communism. We got the National Health Service, it's terrible, blah, blah, blah. And, over, and Boris Johnson is like, save the national, you know, do your part, save it. It's like, and guess what? Everybody's still living. Well, there's a lot of misinformation. I mean, my, yeah. you know, I survived 31 years in the National Health Service, and yeah. uh, uh, so did my, my parents have had some major surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All of us kids have been born, we got grandkids, yeah. you know. So yeah, it does, it does work. Um, but you, you you've had a wonderful through. yeah love story with Robin since 86, uh, right? 30 Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah so in, in 90, 1990, I was working for a company in the UK it was called Tunstall Telecommunications. And what they did was this. If I tell you the help I fall on can't get up technology. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. They sold that stuff. And my job was to take all of their computer processing centers and their, their, their specific products and find new applications for them. So right. this, all, this all leads into where, how I got to radiology. This, this leads into radiology. Yeah. So. I'm out there and I'm talking to the National Health Service hospitals mm -hmm. because one of the big problems we had in the early 1990s, we'd had quite a number of attacks on nurses okay, oh. in the dark, dark parking lots and, yeah. um, you know, these old Victorian buildings and what have you. So yeah. we were trying to come up with a security device where they could use this technology, literally oh, press yeah. the button, right? Yeah. yeah. The only challenge was there was no... GPS, global. I was going to say, you didn't know where they were, right? Right. So yeah. we had to string antennas through the hospitals, all this stuff. So anyway, that got me into the healthcare side, right? Oh, okay. Around that time, the, the, the economy wasn't great. And I said to Robin, literally one day, I was, I was getting dressed. I had two kids for this time. Yeah. Getting dressed, putting my suit and tie on. Right. Sure. You know, I've been married a couple of years by then, so my shirt's a little tight, you know? <laughs> So I said to Robin, I said, you know what? I said, oh, ripped the shirt off, all the buttons flew. I said, look, let's just go to the States. If we don't do it now, we'll never do it. Because once the kids are in school, yeah. we're two and three. You're locked. Years. Yeah, right. Yeah. So literally we did. We, we went to the U.S. Embassy. We got, we had to go through this big rigmarole to get a green card. Yeah. My in-laws had to sponsor me financially. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Three years if necessary. Yeah. Um, anyway. So we ended up coming over to the States yeah. and I sit down and I've got a little bit of money from this little house I'd sold, this little duplex. Uh -huh. So I've maybe got 20 grand, right? Yeah. I've got a wife and two kids to support now. So we're living in the in-laws basement. That's perfect. Yeah. Wonderful for, for them to do that. Right. We were there 10 months in total. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I start yeah. looking through the local paper uh -huh. and here's a little ad for software programmer, radiology billing software, fiscal information. Right? Oh, that's great. Yeah. A, I've never been a programmer, although I'd had a basic programming course once. Right. Uh, and B, I didn't know anything about radiology. Right. And C, I didn't know anything about medical billing. So I picked yeah. up the phone and called the company. But you've sold lady, typewriters. Exactly. The lady <laughs> who answered the phone, Bob, uh -huh. was British, right? Oh, no kidding. Even she was British. British. She, yeah. Linda, Mar Linda Marsinkowski, she had yeah. married 
uh, an American serviceman, I think, some year yeah. before, and moved to the States. Yeah. So she answered the phone, and I explained the circumstances, said I'm looking for a job, and she yeah. said, well, I'm not supposed to put callers through to Charles Smith, the president of the company, but uh -huh. it's you. So she puts me through. <laughs> I'm Charles Smith, I don't know what the hell I'm on top of about, but I get an interview just by badgering him about he needed somebody to do marketing for them and da-da-da. Right. And he said, well, they don't really do any. He says, well, maybe you need to start looking at it. So yeah, I get right. your money into the meeting, right? So I get in there. Charles was very uncomfortable interviewing people. So he sends me down the hallway to meet his director of operations. Uh-huh. Kip McMillan. Oh right. my God, yeah. There's a big RBMA name. Kip right. McMillan. So yeah, right. Kip and I hit it off immediately. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I started working there the next week. And, yeah. and that's how I got into the radiology business. Oh, it's a that's a good story. And it's so it's so similar to, you know, all the people we know that have been involved in RBMA over the years, they just kind of tripped into it. I mean, I was the same way. I'm, yeah. I'm a post-U.S. or a state senator, and my brother-in-law, the radiologist, calls, and he says, how do you like your job? You know. Yeah, there you I are. Was a I was a lobbyist. Uh, yeah. I need you to run my, help run our practice, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, uh, changed my life. You know, and I'm sure it changed yours too. Wow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no, I'm sitting here in a yeah. great situation now. Yeah, you yeah. got 20 grand in your pocket, two kids, and no future, and all of a sudden you got a future. Huh? That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, fiscal started in uh, Denver. It, no, fiscal actually started in Daytona Beach. Well, that's that's why. I mean, I knew the Daytona Beach, but I didn't. I wasn't sure where it kind of actually started. It was born. Yeah, Bill Walter. The story, as I know it, very briefly. Bill Walter. Um, PhD. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a friend, I think, who, he, and he was, he did some software stuff and he had a radiologist down there who said, hey, you know, I think you write me a billing system. Oh. Um, you, you can't find any. And so that's yeah. how it started, essentially. And his college buddy, Charles Smith, had moved to Hewlett Packard in uh, um, uh, oh. Loveland, little yeah. town here, right? They had a plant here. And that's where he was. And uh, Bill Walter called him up one day and said, hey, look, this thing's getting legs. He says, how about we open up yeah. an office in Loveland? You do the Western U.S. That's how it started. That's why there were two offices. Oh, that's just, it, it, what's interesting about a lot of uh, software companies, they always involve a guy, a gentleman, you know, a PhD, the, and then his buddy from college, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like Gates and Allen at Microsoft. And I mean, right. I, can, I can name so many different companies where it's two people. Uh, it's fascinating. And this worked out, you know, it worked out real well. Now, the, the software versions diverged slightly over the years. But anyway, yeah. um, they were brought back together again. They were quite successful. They were brought back together when um, the company was bought out by Reynolds and Reynolds Healthcare right. Systems. So Reynolds and Reynolds, you'll know, you, you probably know, they did automotive systems. So they did yes. systems oh, I know. like dealerships and repair if shops. You, and if you go into AutoZone. Right. They're running Reynolds and Reynolds software, right. I think, to so this they, day. Yeah. So they had created a healthcare systems division to get into the healthcare market. And they were buying from up. From Dayton, Ohio, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they were buying up software companies. So they bought up a number of them. They bought up um, Fiscal. They bought up right. the one in uh, uh, South Carolina, um, Med, Medfax, whatever it was. Where yeah. Terry Corgan, my colleague Terry Corgan. Came from right. That's oh, is that where Jerry came from? This is yeah. you're getting the, you're getting the whole family tree of radiology billing software. That's great. I tell you, um, yeah. But then uh, a national medical computer eventually mm -hmm. 
was bought by Reynolds and Reynolds. Yeah, they were rolled in too. Yes, that's how I knew some of the folks out on the West Coast. So yeah, it, 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 that yeah. kind of was some of the, one of the gelling events. And then of course, yeah. they got out of that business and sold it all to InfoCure, which people- InfoCure, right. Which then became Vital Works. And yeah. I worked the same product yeah. essentially all through that transition. Our, our yeah. practice was, a, was an MNC, National Medical Computer Clinic. Right, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, I get hired by the radiologist in 1992. And the first thing I have to do is go learn this software, which is like you talk about, we were talking about, you know, you don't know anything about something software is like not my thing. So they send me out to uh, San Diego and I'm like, Oh, this will be great. A week in San Diego. Oh, it's deadly. I was locked into a small room with a trainer and I'm just (laughs) like, it was in uh, maybe, I don't know, November sometime, early December. And uh, I, f- I finally, one day I said, hey, could I get out of here like at three o'clock? I just need to go outside <laughs> and go over to the beach and just kind of stare at the ocean because this is driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I decided then that to really be a leader in radiology billing, I needed to have someone in the office that really knew the software so I could work on strategic issues. <laughs> yeah. And that seemed to work for me for 22 years. <laughs> But yeah, National Medical Computer, uh, it all eventually kind of melded into InfoCure. And well, the other interesting thing about Reynolds and Reynolds are, uh, I think those guys, the, the guys that started Reynolds and Reynolds all came from NCR, National Cash Register. Yeah, which of course is where Bob Murphy from Data Where Media Bob came. Murphy came from. So it all goes back to NCR. Uh, it's a very small world. You know, we, yeah. all, we all interrelate. That's why, you know, I've said this for years to people, never burn a bridge because you never know. <laughs> <laughs> never know, right? And there's and, uh, today's lesson, never burn a bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, That's you know, uh, one of the interesting things about the whole fiscal thing was that uh-huh. years later, after I'd been through different companies and I'd, I'd gone to work for MNP, Medical Management Professionals, remember those guys? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, back in the early 2000s with a stopover in California for a startup company. Anyway, long, long story. But... Um, yeah, I get a call one day from Kip McMillan, who by this time is the CEO of Diversified Radiology Colorado in Denver. So he calls me up and he said, I mean, we were good buddies, you know, we, we'd done a lot of stuff together. But he calls me up, he says, hey, he says, uh, how do you fancy being a director of operations for the radiology practice in Northern Colorado? And I'm like, what the hell do I know about radiology practice? He says, ah, he says, you'll pick it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> you'll pick it so up. I, I did, I started a couple of months later and, uh, picked it up, you know, but that was great experience because you rarely have the chance in, in my profession, being a salesperson, you rarely have the chance of going into the business you're selling to, right, mm-hmm. and seeing it from that side. And that, to me, was invaluable. It taught me such a lot about radiology that I had no idea about before. Yeah, yeah. So. RBA members, we are excited for 2021. I want you to mark your calendar right now. Go into your calendar on your phone. If you still write a calendar, do this. RBMA Paradigm Conference, our annual meeting, will be back in person this year from October the 17th to the 20th. That's right. We've moved it from April. We're very, very excited about this. So get excited to reunite with fellow radiology business professionals from across the country at the beautiful and magnificent MGM Grand in Las Vegas. You're going to gain valuable knowledge and meet with top class solution providers. 
So you can register today by going to rbma.org forward slash paradigm 21, all one word, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M 21, and register. I can tell you this is going to be a great, great conference. Our staff has uh, planned this for now uh, over a year, and we're so excited that we believe strongly that after we all get vaccinated, we'll be able to meet in person in mid-October. So I would encourage you to register. We've uh, negotiated great rates at the hotel. I'm sure you all have travel vouchers from last year when you couldn't travel. So uh, plan today to go to Vegas. We'll see you there October 17th to 20th at Paradigm. Have a great day. This, this whole notion of you'll pick it up, uh, you, you'll learn it as you go. I think that's one of the really interesting things about radiology practice management. Aren't, there aren't too many folks who kind of go into it with that intention. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and generally radiology practice, I mean, they're getting larger and larger. We can talk about that. Hmm. But in my era and when your era where you were selling, many of them were, you know, you had a, an administrator or practice manager, you had some had a billing office, some didn't. But there really weren't that many people to manage. It was more about managing those doctors. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, most yeah. back when I first came into the radiology market, most of the managers or administrators, whatever they yeah. were called at the time, most of them had grown up with the practice. Yeah. Right? Very few of them had come from the outside as sort of professional managers. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, someone like Pat Epting, right? You know, yeah. Like, right. Retired now, obviously, but past president of the RBMA. You know, he came in from the banking side. Well, right? so through the relationship, right? Yeah. Relationship yeah. that brought him into a practice. Right. You know, Doyle yeah. Rady, he was a he was a, uh, a CPA. You know, right? Um, and got into the hospital business and got into the radiology. So yeah, right. there's a lot of people came in sort of sideways into the business for sure. Yeah. So, but you have a chance to learn and to do so many different functions. You know, there was HR, there was the, well, the IT, the billing thing, you know, it was just yeah. so expansive and that's just one subspecialty. You know, that's what that's I right. find interesting. Well, what's uh, so fascinating really is that, I mean, I think my perspective when I first came in, now remember, I'm, I'm drinking from a fire hose. I don't know anything about the U.S. healthcare system. Oh, right, yeah. I had, to, I had to come up with this little mantra, Medicare is caring for the elderly, Medicaid is aiding the poor, right? Because I could not <laughs> remember that. Right. And yeah. uh, so I'm really fundamental. So it wasn't until a few years later that I, I recognized, I realized that these radiology practices are actually independent businesses and some of them are multi-million dollar businesses. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the owners of the businesses were looking at this from a, a different perspective, um, you know, as, as medical professionals, they are the product, if you like. Right. They are the product. It's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah. yeah. I, I have always enjoyed that aspect of radiology. You're dealing, you're talking to the, owners who are also the product who, who are the plumbers you know yeah, exactly. I, I found it interesting uh they radiologists in many situations they don't look at themselves as kind of like the owners of the practice either mm-hmm. you know they well they, they do when it comes time to for payday but <laughs> you know but it, it, it is such an interesting uh, dichotomy that you know they are the the worker bees out there producing everything but they're the yeah, owners definitely. and 
the other thing was I would continually stress how large of a business they were in terms of the community. They didn't think of themselves as like a, a, a business that's contributing to the econ local economy as maybe a manufacturing plant would or a construction company. It was like, oh yeah, we're pretty big. I go, yeah, you're, you're very big. Yeah, you're a multiple right. million dollar company. Yeah, especially back when a lot of them had their own billing offices. You know? Yes, they, right. They, they, were, they were significant employers in the community. Yeah. Um, of course, a lot of that has changed. I mean, you know, I, I've worked for a few different billing companies, starting with MMP, yeah. um, and now I'm with MSN Healthcare. You know, right. the market has definitely changed. It's, uh -huh. it's almost unusual now to come across a radiology practice that has their own billing operation. There's still several out there. But that's the, they tend to be more unusual than, because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a field with some real complexity and expertise right. that, you know, why would you necessarily have that in-house these days? It's, yeah, right. Other yeah, I was, I, I've gone back and forth on that, you know, in my day. Of course, we had our own billing uh, operation, yeah. and so you defend that and yep. find all, and, but I got, I got to the point at the end of my, uh, tenure where I started to think, you know, I don't know if these physicians, if these partners understand the amount of capital you have to keep reinvesting in that, you know, yeah. hardware, software. And it was, it, it wasn't terribly, but in the last 10 years, it's really gotten sophisticated. Well, the, the, yeah. the, the dynamic I've always thought of is this. Back when I first started in the radiology market, I mean, radiologists were paid pretty darn well on a fee-for-service yeah. basis. They were paid, relatively speaking, so much that billing was almost like, well, it doesn't really matter how much it costs us and we'll do it ourselves yeah. you know, because it was relatively easy to collect the money, okay? Yeah. Um, right. Now, and I, I've, because I live in Colorado, I've always used this analogy. It's a bit like gold panning, right? Yeah. Back then, you were looking for nuggets of gold, right? Right. No, nugget of chin, you'd throw yeah. the rest of it away. Well, now you're going through and you're looking for every single flake. Goal. Yeah, right. That's the challenge of reimbursement, right? So yeah. it now matters whether you're paying X percent or Y percent for your billing costs. Right. It's one of the things you can control as a practice, and that makes a big difference. Have has your message uh, as a salesperson changed over the years? I mean, uh, the the way you sell systems or services has it. As it's obviously ebbs and flows depending on what the need of the industry is, but uh, you see it changing yeah. dramatically. Yeah, um, it's been a progression, really. Yeah. Uh, I think that nowadays, what you're talking about, you're talking about more sophisticated things rather than the mechanics right. of how the billing is done. That's still yeah. important, obviously. Right. You're talking about more sophisticated things like how do I analyze and make the most of my business, etc. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of thing that you're talking about these days. Yeah, right. The the other thing, uh, I mean, you and I have talked about um, the uh, how far we are are we really from the National Health Service? I, I mean, you know, when you, yeah. when you look at the sources of revenue in a practice today, mm -hmm. and especially with what we've been through in the last two months, where yeah. you know, basically the federal government went through the payroll protection plan is really is really going to help a lot of medical practices survive. You know, mm -hmm. now yes. that the, vi the volumes now are coming back, but it was really a bridge there of cash for a while. But yeah. um, 
you know, when you look at Medicare, Medicaid, uh, state and local governments, school districts, I mean, you start adding up the dollars, the cash coming in, and it's, there's a lot of cash coming from the taxpayers. I, I just wonder how far are we really from the next step, I, although that's well, that's so let, me preface, yeah. let me preface my response by saying, as I uh, alluded to, or as you pointed out earlier, I'm still a British citizen, so I don't get to vote, right? <laughs> oh, right, you don't, yeah. No, I don't get to vote, and therefore I don't voice my political opinion. Good right? for you, yeah. But I, but I will say this in answer to your, your, your question. Yes, if you look at all of the sources, all of the people who are actually covered under a, a payer system like Medicare, Medicaid, mm -hmm. um, you know, the military side, et cetera, the, the, the politicians, you know, then yes, you have a lot of people who are already in a single payer system. And then you look at, the, you contrast what's going on in the marketplace today, uh, all of these people unemployed, people who are losing their insurance because it comes through their employer. Um, it's a pretty unstable system. Now, I'm not advocating the National Health Service, but the essential difference is this. You're not going to find yourself in the United Kingdom in a situation where you have to sell your house to pay your medical bills. Right. right? You're yeah, not that's one right. pink slip away from disaster. Right. And if you think of the NHS like that, it's a social underpinning, if you like, not socialist people. No. Kind of go overboard with that. Yeah. It's a social underpinning. Um, and there's a lot of social underpinning in the United States as well. Uh, people tend to call it different things depending on their political perspective. You know? so, right. I've, I've always found it interesting why the United States kind of didn't go in that direction, um, especially after World War II. I mean, you know, yeah. because, uh, you know, we went in the Medicare, Medicaid direction in the mid 60s. Yeah. But it was just interesting that in the 50s or in the late 40s that that did not happen as part of kind of the social safety net but this would be a very very different country if that had happened there'd be yeah. people would be um much more able to focus on different aspects of their lives i'll give you a great example this morning my son called he's got a sty in his eye right and he's 31 yeah. years old he's got a sty in his eye and he calls up and he's like Oh, you know, I said, well, just go to the doctor's office in the little town where you live. Right. It's like, well, are they in my plan? You know, how much is that going to cost me? Those are not questions you, you ask at the National Health Service. Yeah, no. They're, you're they're just paying into the service all their lives. That's what right. people fail to understand or choose to misunderstand. It's not yeah. free. You pay right. for everything. You simply pay for it over time. Right. Yeah. So... Well, yeah. we like to be nickel and dime to ourselves to death. <laughs> I've noticed that, yeah. I, you know, I I'd remember, you know, we'd rather pay $1,500 a month for our insurance and then get nickel and dimed with co-pays and nickel and dime with us. It's like, it's a lot more fun to be nickel and dime. You know? I can remember when I first came here in 1991 and I uh -huh. worked for, uh, went to work fiscal information in March of 92 and I'm signing up for all the healthcare stuff. Mm -hmm. And the first monthly bill comes in for healthcare coverage, the premium, you know, I'm like, this is unsustainable. <laughs> That's right. And I was right. We're still saying, and you're right. There still is. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Well, that, that's very interesting. Now you've had an opportunity also to work in the, uh, kind of the, the, the large practice, the new, I mean, the great, the great, uh, debate we're having now in radiology about, is it better to be bigger? You know, what's the right bigger to be? Should we be, private yeah, yeah. Should we merge with the guy down the street? Should we join, you know, another kind of interesting 
uh, group that you and I have had those conversations about uh, where this is all going in radiology and who know, I still don't know where it's going, you know. Well, I don't think anybody really does. I mean, I think yeah. the 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 coronavirus has has knocked a lot of plans yeah. um, that were underway. And I think for me, the question is, will the consolidators, if I can generically, and not just in radiology, but across yeah. healthcare, right? Will the consolidators be able to hold out long enough, depending on their yeah. model or strategy, yeah. um, to actually see out that strategy? Okay. I mean, we hear that KKR, for example, the, you know, the, the, the big uh, Wall Street uh, um, investment company, essentially, um, you know, they're, they're looking at maybe offloading Envision that they bought, right? Yeah. And there's talk of, guess what, $7 billion worth of debt going to the doctors. Right. Whoa. That'll, that'll wake know, them up. Huh? That'll, yeah, that, so those types of things, I mean, the, you know, the market's definitely changed and there's certainly opportunity in the healthcare market and in radiology, I think, for some consolidation. The question is what model will prove out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I spent a couple of years before MSN working for strategic radiology, mm -hmm. right, which is all about independent radiology practice right. and sustaining that. And that's a very interesting model too. But at the end of the day, there has to be a return on whatever investment you make as a practice. If you remain independent, how do you sustain that? If you merge either locally or you know, regionally or whatever, the question is what, what model can work? Can radiology practices, and this is a big question for me, can radiology practices ever be bigger than regional? Right. Okay? Yeah. Because you've got all kinds of regulations that pen them into different states and stuff yes. like that. Yeah. So, that's one of the questions I have. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It, it will be. I mean, we used to say, you know, it's all it's all about the local healthcare situation. You know, if you, if yeah. Well, one one big contract with the county hospital. You know, guess what? Yeah. yeah. Healthcare is local, and it's all about relationships. I mean, it's right. it's a relationship between, and I'm not just talking radiology here. It's a relationship yeah. between the patient who lives locally, the doctor who's referring the patient to whomever the yeah. hospital, the doctor, right? Uh, it's the local hospital. It's the, the physician practices associated with those hospitals. So when you break, when you try to break out of that, mm -hmm. you've got to be careful you don't lose those connections because those connections right. are where the value is. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this, well, you've you've been in Central PA. Central PA, every county has a one big hospital. Yeah. They're the largest employer. Uh, you know, whatever they do, it matters. And. Uh, it, it's interesting in Lancaster, PA, where I was, you know, some of the practices now are into like third generation of physicians, you know, yeah. some of the subspecialty practices. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And that's very deep and interesting. And uh, it still is very local, very, very yeah. local. You can't even get the hot, they generally can't get the hospitals, even, you know, in the other county to talk to one another. Uh, right, exactly. It's, it's yeah. fascinating. And I'm sure that's true all over the country, you know. Sure. So yeah. uh, some of the consolidators might, you know, they, I know they'd like to have a national, you know, contract for something, but I, I don't know if that's, a, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. It'll be interesting. To see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The, the other aspect that's, uh, you know, about the market and what, what's interesting about it right now is the whole artificial intelligence thing yes. in radiology specifically. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, when I was with strategic radiology, we, we had a couple of speakers at some conference and uh -huh. it was very interesting. One of them came up with this. I don't remember who it was, unfortunately, but basically, um, when they were talking about artificial intelligence, it won't replace radiologists, uh -huh. 
but it may replace radiologists who don't use it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's very insightful because yeah. that's what it's it's going to be um, an assist to the radiologist. Right. right. It's not gonna I mean, yeah, a hundred years from now it might be doing yeah. what the radiologist does. Do you right. see that as the next big wave, not only with clinical work, but also with uh, uh, accounts receivable software, billing software, and the, the use of artificial intelligence within that to do billing more efficiently, you, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, see that, I think that's the, the data analysis side, as I said yeah. earlier, that's a large part of what you talk about now, because it's, uh -huh. it's not about simply doing the billing well, okay? Most people can do the billing well. It's yeah. about um, making things more efficient and more effective. It's those two right. E words, right? They have to right. go together. And if you are uh, providing services to radiology practices, practice as a, uh, you know, a, a billing vendor or a practice management company, you've got to be continuously looking at that. Because remember, the radiologist is the, uh, they're the, the ultimate bottleneck in the pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. You can only put so much throughput through a radiologist, yeah. okay? And then the quality starts to decline as the volume goes up. So right. you've got to, optimize those two that where those points meet through things like technology efficiency etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. so that's the challenge and that's where i think artificial intelligence will come in just like pax did many years ago right. to make the the job of being a radiologist much more efficient and effective that's the difference so here's a a, a typewriter story and the bottleneck in radiology so mm -hmm. you and i were both started in radiology we would talk about all the time transcription, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's always about the bottleneck in transcription. And so uh, we actually had uh, a woman in our practice who was the executive secretary. She did everything for the radiologist. And we had a little uh, side reading thing and she'd type all the reports there. But she came out of transcription at the hospital back when the ladies would all type. So uh, at the time we had a brand new IBM Selectric typewriter right? But she's pounding away on. She was such a fast typist that she would jam the ball on the... Oh, yeah. And they, <laughs> the hospital was like, we can't believe this, you know? So the, the IBM guys say, there's no way you cannot type so fast that you can jam the ball. So they brought in the salesman and the local, you know, Techie guy from IBM, and sure enough, she demoed it. She would jam the ball. She typed so fast. So the bottleneck in radiology, you got to keep those transcriptionists typing, you know? Well, see, Bob, if they bought an Olivetti. Yeah, <laughs> that wouldn't happen. <laughs> that's, that's another sales story. If you, get, if you get, don't get the IBM, you'll, you know, the typists are just too fast, you know? That's right. I'll have to remember that see, the next time. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, dear. So, Very yeah, dear. I think... Um, it seems like you mentioned that, that a lot of, of the, the attempts at billing software, big companies, small, it's all about keeping that channel clear so things aren't jamming up. You know, yeah, I mean, you, you, I can remember when I worked at Diversified Radiology, we had a, a client, it was a local clinic, and we actually had one of our radiologists sit in that clinic on a daily basis, and they tried to change the transcription system, okay? And it meant literally, two or three different push buttons or button pushes for the radiologist, there was no way that radiologist was going to do that. Right? Oh, really? And, yeah. And really, yeah. And that's one of the things is you cannot interrupt the process flow. Right. 
in an attempt to improve it. So it's very, you know, you, you look at some of these uh, corporate or, or merger type operations where they're asking the radiologists to change what they're doing, yes. regardless of whether it's di whether dictating or the system they're using, whatever. Once you take the radiologist who is in full productivity mode and you yeah. say, hey, stop what you're doing this way and do it a different way, that is such a big interrupt and a yeah. cultural change. It can be very, very difficult to uh, to get radiologists to make that change. I, I found. You know. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's going to change a lot. Do you? I no, mean, I mean, it's a human thing, too. It's, uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's like people re-engaging after the coronavirus, right? I mean, we oh. talk about the volumes are improving. I saw that the other day on the podcast. Yeah. You know, volumes are coming back. But um, are people going to have the confidence to re-engage with society, whether it's going to the movies or going to the doctor's office or going to the hospital or where they're going or a restaurant? Yeah. They're not going to have that confidence for a while, I don't think. Yeah. So I don't think that there's going to be that surge that some people have referred to in the radiology market. I don't think we're going to see a surge like that. They may come back to prior levels, right? but I don't think we're going to see a surge in activity. Yeah, I'm, I'm really up in the air about how uh, society is going to, you know, handle that. And yeah. this, whole, this whole issue of folks just aren't going to go to the doctors unless they absolutely have to, I think is a real issue, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and and it'll also be interesting to see how hard is it to get radiologists to come back into the reading room because they're reading at home and saying, you know, this ain't too bad. You know, that's pretty good. Well, and it's not just the radiologists. You know, I, I think that business generally has discovered right. that working from home is actually quite good, and I think right. they're actually, from what I've read and seen and, and anecdotally heard from uh -huh. a few uh, radiology business managers slash administrators, is yeah. hey our administrative productivity has gone up with people working from home. And people right. are saying, hey, can I never come back to the office? Because this is a much more comfortable and, and productive yeah. environment for me. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be some societal changes in that regard, I think. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm um, sure there will I, be. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in commercial property right now. Oh, no. No way. Huh? huh? Right. Yeah. 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 Talk about tough sales. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, the, the question is, how do you keep people from moving out of your building? You know. That's right. Yeah. So hey, uh, yeah. I, I know we're probably past the yeah, end. Yeah. Uh, well, we're getting close here. Yeah. Okay. You when you guys sent me your list of you know things we might talk about. Yeah. One of the things you said is a, a funny or interesting anecdote. So okay. We had a few of them. I didn't want to leave you with a, this particular one. Right. All right. Shoot. So this goes right back to the beginning of our conversation in yeah. Edinburgh. Uh huh. So when my parents were teenagers, uh -huh. they were 17, 18 when they met, mm -hmm. and they would go to the Palais de Dance, right? Okay. The dance hall in Edinburgh. Uh -huh. Been demolished a long time now, but they'd go there. And they, you guys call it jitterbugging in the UK, they call it jiving, right? Yeah. And they'd do all that stuff. And every now and again, the crowd would get rowdy. And so the bouncer would have to come in and throw somebody out. <laughs> so the bouncer in the dance hall at the Palais de Dance in Edinburgh was this big Scots-Irish guy by the name of Sean Connery. No kidding. No kidding. That's, That's right. great. Your parents met him, knew him well. Oh, yeah, well, I, yeah, he was the bouncer on the door, right? So yeah, right. But yeah, yeah. So he went on from there. So here's a quiz question for you. And you can edit all this out. Yeah. But here's a quiz question for you. Um, what is the first movie that Sean Connery was in? I'll give you a clue. It is not a James Bond movie. No, it's not Goldfinger. No, uh, I don't. 
I don't know. I, I, I don't so you'd never guess, you could sit there for 100 years and never guess that it's South Pacific, the musical. Yeah. Right? So South Pacific, he was one of the, because of his physique, he was a bodybuilder. He was one of the sailors in the chorus line at the back of the, uh, the singing, you know, dancing uh, South Pacific movie. Was he really? He was, a, he, was a, he was part of the, the chorus line in South Pacific. That was his first role. Well, I got to watch it again. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Some trivia. Well, my son, the actor, was in a musical theater for a while. He was in South Pacific, so I know it well. You know, one oh, of the cool. singing sailors. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Very good. That's a great story. Uh, that's like in the book, The Splendid and the Vile, that I just finished talking about one of the one of the colonels or something that showed up at Checkers, you know, with uh, mm -hmm. Churchill would invite all of, all those folks up there. And uh, he was in charge of like uh, army intelligence in Spain for the British. And one of the people that reported him was a Lieutenant Ian Fleming. Oh, and there you are. <laughs> they think that Fleming actually uh, uh, modeled uh, James Bond after this particular army officer who was kind of, right. you know, one of the original spies. So it's very interesting. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good story. Great anecdote. Great way to kind of close out our conversation. So uh, I appreciate you uh, doing this, Steve. Uh, we learn, well, we just, RBMA is all about and always has been learning from each other. And uh, you, and I mean, we should have, you and I have talked about, we should get you and probably uh, a few others just to talk about the, early days with all of these companies and the big and the big family tree of software companies and where they are today it's fascinating yeah really. yeah it, it really is fascinating yes yeah. yes it's been it's, uh, i mean i was so lucky to stumble across this I, yeah. I mean just so lucky you know and the rbma has been absolutely wonderful place to work right well, it really has yeah. Yeah. it yeah. is because everybody's so so friendly and so helpful you know yeah and right starting yeah. off knowing literally nothing <laughs> I've learned quite a lot from RBMA people. <laughs> well, everyone, every one of these conversations I have, uh, it's it, folks say the same thing. You know, I started up doing this and this. I didn't know anything. I called RBMA. You know, so we'll continue to celebrate that. Hopefully, at some year in the future, we can all get to back together again. You know? That would be nice. Yeah, we're yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, we will, and uh, you know, we'll we'll celebrate when we do. Yeah. Very so. good. Well, thank you, Steve. Thanks for uh, joining a word with Bob. Many All right, thanks. All right, Thank have you, a Bob. great week. Okay. All right. You too, bye. Well, thank you, Steve Collins. Uh, wonderful discussion and uh, uh, part of my challenge in, in interviewing people is, geez, can I keep this to an hour? And Steve is one of those people you can sit around and talk to for hours about uh, not only his journey, uh, professional journey and personal journey, but also about radiology. Um, he's a go-to person for history um, but, but also for insight and advice on leadership. And uh, I just thank him so much for taking the time to do this and to share some knowledge with our members. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, 2021, new year, new ideas, uh, uh, new frontiers. So let's, let's keep moving forward with that. Uh, uh, get your vaccination scheduled as soon as you can. Get that shot in the arm so we can all be uh, uh, moving out from under, underneath the bushel basket of covid um, start making your plans for Paradigm now in October, as you heard. And uh, also join us for all the webinars that we have coming up. 
um, within RVMA. We had over 500 people in 2020 sign up uh, and listen to one of our webinars. So we're very, very enthused about that, being able to offer uh, membership value and education on, um, virtually. Uh, and just a reminder, we're going to do Word with Bob live. Um, we've now scheduled them the last Thursday of every month. Um, so our next Word with Bob live will be January 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, you'll get an invitation. You'll get a link uh, when you sign up and register for that. And there are always a lot of fun, interesting conversations. Time to learn something. So uh, everyone have a great day. We'll see you on a Word with Bob live on January 28th. RBA members, we are excited for 2021. I want you to mark your calendar right now. Go into your calendar on your phone. If you still write a calendar, do this. RBMA Paradigm Conference, our annual meeting, will be back in person this year from October the 17th to the 20th. That's right, we've moved it from April. We're very, very excited about this. So get excited to reunite with fellow radiology business professionals from across the country at the beautiful and magnificent MGM Grand in Las Vegas. You're gonna gain valuable knowledge and meet with top class solution providers. So you can register today by going to rbma.org forward slash paradigm 21, all one word, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M 21, and register. I can tell you this is gonna be a great, great conference. Our staff has uh, planned this for now uh, over a year, and we're so excited that we believe strongly that after we all get vaccinated, we'll be able to meet in person in mid-October. So I would encourage you to register. We've uh, negotiated great rates at the hotel. I'm sure you all have travel vouchers from last year when you couldn't travel. So uh, plan today to go to Vegas. We'll see you there October 17th to 20th at Paradigm. Have a great day.